This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Same device. Saying hello. You think your wife can hear you? No. Then why bother? Maybe I'm wrong. You're going to die. Maybe not. Goodbye to you, my trusted friend. A new day is dawning. New ideas, new rules, new management. We've known each other since we were nine Who is this? The Marquis de Gramont. Challenge him to single combat. Win or lose, it's a way out. I don't sit at the table. Your family does. Please pray for me. I was the black sheep of the family. Man has to look his best when it's time to get married. Or buried. I'm going to need a gun. Goodbye, my friend. It's hard to die. If you win, the table will honor its word. You will have your freedom. Under the old laws, only one can survive. Failure to meet at sunrise will result in execution. Last words, Winston? Just have fun out there. <laughs> I want you to find your peace, but a good death only comes after a good life. You and I left a good life behind a long time ago, my friend. John Wick Chapter 4 had a big debut last weekend with $73.8 million at the domestic box office, and it has already crossed the $150 million mark worldwide. To talk about the making of the Lionsgate movie, for which Keanu Reeves returns as assassin John Wick, our guests for this episode are director Chad Stahelski, cinematographer Dan Lauston, and editor Nathan Orloff. I'm Carolyn Jardina. Welcome to Behind the Screen. So congratulations on the movie and its huge opening weekend. Thanks for joining us. 
Sure, sure. Um, I'm Chad Stahelski, director of the John Wick movies. It's a pleasure to be here. With me, we well, let's see, we have we have my cinematographer who's going to introduce himself right now. Yeah, hello, I'm Dan Larson. I'm here in London. I'm so happy to be a part of this John Wick world. Uh, this is my third movie together with Chad, so this is fantastic. Yep, and my editor, Nathan Orloff. Hi, this is um, my first John Wick movie and uh, the favorite one that I've worked on. <laughs> it's his biggest, first, and bestest. <laughs> Uh, he must have done something right because we're doing okay. So, as you have with the past, you traveled and did a lot of location work. You've been to Japan, France, Jordan, Germany, and New York, all for this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it really gave it so much texture and life. How did you pick some of those uh, those cities, Chad? Um, honestly, with all the John Wicks, we kind of count on myself. In our individual department heads, we kind of put up a vision board of places we want to go, things that we just have big interest in. I, I grew up with the James Bonds. So, you know, you see like an old Bond movie and you want to go to Austria, you see an old Bond movie like you want to go to South America or you want to go to Switzerland or something like that. So I was a, a big wish fulfillment kind of guy growing up with my father watching films. One of my favorite movies is David Lean's Lawrence of Arabia. So, you know, uh, Dan and I on the previous show, we had been to Morocco to shoot in the Sahara Desert. This time we just, we really love the desert. We love what we could do with the colors there. So we're like, okay, we're going to Aqaba. We know we're going to open the movie in Aqaba. <laughs> so we went to Jordan. It was amazing. And then uh, it was looking for cities that, you know, let, let, let Dan do his thing. Now, obviously we're big nighttime people. At least I am. Anyways, <laughs> so we like shaping with, uh, with light and night. So we thought two of the most interesting cities other than New York was was Berlin, which really changes at night, and uh, Paris, which had a lot of old world meets new world kind of vibe. At night, Paris becomes almost a neon noir kind of city. In the daytime, it has that old world kind of feel. So it felt like the perfect place to kind of to kind of wrap up and tie together all the John Wick series. The worlds really do become characters in the movie. I'm going yeah. to go back to your Lawrence of Arabia comment for a minute. Um, the movie opens in New York, and when the Bowery yeah. King blows out his match, you cut to the desert in Jordan. Um, obviously, you're paying homage to editor Ann Coates and her famous match cut in Lawrence yeah. of Arabia. Chad and Nathan, how did that one come about? Yeah, probably the ballsiest edit in the movie. That <laughs> we're like, if we're gonna rip somebody off, let's rip off the most famous edit in cinematic history <laughs> um, yeah 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 little i don't know nate can ask you if he's had any reserves about that but i think in the good but <laughs> like we we kind of set up the, the tone of the john wicks for three films knowing that you know we're like love letters to some of the classics so hopefully it wasn't viewed as so much of a ripoff as it was a tribute i'll let nate talk about that no and and to be a tribute i studied um the exact amount of frames in Lawrence of Arabia after the match was blown out before it cut to the sunrise so that if we're going to do it, we better do it right. <laughs> um, and uh, no, it was both a terror and an honor to try to do that. Well, let's let's talk about some of the action pieces, um, which is incredible. And you had some uh, you know, incredible martial arts action stars on top of it joining the cast mm-hmm. this time. Um, Chad, tell us a little bit about just how um, the choreography and the stunt work came together and some of those big set pieces. Well, you, you know, the choreography is, we either do it from the outside in, we'll, example, like we'll see the staircase at Sacre Coeur and we'll devise a sequence to fit that staircase. Or you'll have like a concept where, you know, we want a movable set piece, but we want John, 
you know, metaphorically to get knocked back down or set back up. So you'll make like the Ark of Triumph and you'll build it out from an early conception on. The hard thing like in the conception, you know, we got Dan, like it, as Dan mentioned, this is our third film together. And hopefully you've noticed, at least as a director, I'm trying to get better every time or at least try to, try to use my crew better every time. So we've obviously experimented with, I don't know, what Dan and I kind of collectively call neon noir. We like our blacks. We like our colors, but to create, you know, the anti-action action movie, more of an art feel thing. So Dan and I did a lot more research into modern art, modern lighting art. I mean, right, Dan, we did Oliveson. We did like a lot of, we went and visited the Tate a lot, the Met, and just figured out how we could use, uh, I don't know, Dan, how long has like tube technology and the LEDs been in? Like we use these LED strips of lighting. So we put a lot of our practical lighting on screen. We yeah. don't try to hide the I think that started, you know, that started the number two. You know, we start to put man tubes on the, um, on the subway in New York, and then on right. number three, we went into the, the glass house. And on this one, actually, we went, went into our own colors. You know, we found a chat green, and we found, found a ballet, a burning rust. So, you know, we tried to find the, the palette of green and orange uh, together with the rest of the sets. And Kevin, you know, production designer, is a big, big part of that, you know. Chad and myself and Kevin is looking into these colors when Dan and I try to find, like he said, the technology didn't exist like 10 years ago. We just get an iPad and you can take, I don't know, Dan, what's the range? 256 different colors, but. You can find all the colors in the world on this LED light. That's what I mean. Like we didn't have the DI technology, the camera technology, the lighting technology to really bring them out. And so in answer to your question, it's not, we, we try to take it one notch up from just a physical choreography or what, you know, are they fighting with tomahawks or nunchucks? Like, you know, hopefully in each sequence, you'll see a different lighting palette. And Dan and I go, okay, well, if we're going to do another action movie, because we, we've all done, you know, at the time, uh, this is my fourth one. This is going to be Dan's third one. You got to ask yourself, like, why are we doing this again? Like, we just don't want to replicate it. So we can't make it artsy and bring action films to that next level. And that's, that's going with Nate as well. If we don't do some kind of artistic interpretation of the choreography, it's just martial arts. It's just action. And we want to, you know lift the whole project up a little bit. I mean, whether it's our own egos or for that artistic endeavor of just trying to make it a little bit more beautiful. That's why the editing is very symmetrical. The editing is very clean. It's meant to show off what we're doing. The lighting is on camera, on set. It's meant to transport you. I spent, you know, over 12 years with the Wachowskis with all the Matrixes and their subsequent films after that, where every, the, the line, how you do anything is how you do everything is their mantra. Like, so if we're not worried about the lighting and the editing and all that stuff, we're trying to figure this all out as we're choreographing. So the Tum team knows the style that we're trying to edit. They know that we're trying, it's all about light. So the choreography has to go in. So it's, you know, gives Dan those long composition shots, you know, and that's, that's what we're trying to do. So, you know, we have the advantage of it's number four. We kind of know our identity. We know how we're trying to push it and we know the artistic level we want to take it. So the choreography or the physical interpretation of that is actually reverse engineered out from the editing styles and the lighting. Does that make sense? So we're trying to do it the opposite of most action movies. We kind of care how it looks and how it's going to cut before we choreograph. And that's kind of our little trick. One thing I remember that we uh, we talked about after you made the third film was that you use you, you don't do a lot of close-ups in those action sequences. You keep it wide so you can really see the performances and you can really see the, you know, the actors executing the stunts and the choreography. Yeah. Uh, Nate, how does that affect you in the editing room? It's honestly kind of a challenge um, because more has to match <laughs> from shot to shot. However, when I, when Chad and I first started talking um, on this project, the list of films he gave me um, 
you know, and especially influences like from Buster Keaton to um, Singing in the Rain. I actually watched Singing in the Rain on the airplane to Berlin. And the way that they cut around the dancing, they never cut to make the dancing more impressive because the dancing is plenty impressive by itself. I made it my mission statement to show off how good Keanu was, how good these stunts are, how incredible this choreography is. I don't need to enhance it. So I never really cut on a punch. I never really cut mid-motion. Chad and I found this language to cut sort of on rest. And that is really good on these wide shots where you are just letting them breathe. And I think one of the reasons people enjoy these, these movies so much, and, and it, you know, especially considering how long the movie is, there's, there's not as many cuts as you might think because we're allowing this to breathe and for allowing you to just sit there and watch how great these talented that stunt people are. Yeah. I think also, again, we have the advantage of having been here and had a lot of trial and error before. Um, I think, I, I think I've used, or what we try to do is try to bring in the close-ups, not just for some kind of symmetry or not just to force an edit. But I think uh, as Nate and I were going through, he was being very judicious with, when to go into the close-ups. Like, unless we're saying something with the close-up, because we knew we were going to project this on a big screen. We, we edited it not to be on a small screen, but on a big screen. So when you see it like that, when we punch into that 20-foot-tall close-up of Keanu or Bill Skarsgård, there's a moment, there's a twink in the eyes, there's a twitch, there's a look. So we're trying to be very careful when we punch in, and when we do punch in, it's for a moment, if that makes sense. And then for Dan and I, like, it's very interesting, <laughs> very rare, and Keanu still gives me a little shit about this, um, very rarely do you ever see two eyes on John Wick. Dan's been on, and I've always loved it. That's why how Dan and I kind of met in the first place. Dan does this amazing three quarter or the, the, the eye and a half, as we call it, the suicide Jack look. Um, you can always tell when the big flags are coming to set, what we're trying to do, even in daytime, there's always trying to be the shading effect, which is again, when you're cutting on a little monitor is one thing but when you see it on that imax screen and you have these hard lines across our characters faces it really does say something and to your point if you i'll let dan talk in a second about that but you know when you have your crazy director using this wide anamorphic love seeing six people and your cinematographer has to put the half light on his face from half a mile out behind camera it gets a little challenging but I, I think dan's been exceptionally good at constantly keeping you know bill's always got these glows in his eyes Keanu's always got the half light. You know, it's from the old old spaghetti westerns with Clint Eastwood in the hat or the Sergio Leone. <laughs> right. I still don't know. I watched Dan three movies. I still don't know how he gets it so perfect every time, but I'm slowly learning. Perhaps Mr. Lauston will impart his expertise on us at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, that is... And again, we talked about going from number three to number four. You know, we changed the camera package, for example. We went up to Alexa LF with a bigger sensor. We went alpha lenses. So, you know, we get our depth of field was getting much smaller. And I think that works extremely well on the close-up of Keanu, of course, um, for example. But the key light is always far, far, far away. You know, we're trying because we want to shoot as wide as we can, wide as we can. So the key light is always really far away. And you just a nice key light and negative field. I think that is, mm. that is um, the goal for that. Look, and of course, you need the director that they had to, to go that way. And Chad is really good to that. So thanks. Yeah, for that. no, uh, honestly, like, 
you know, Carolyn, it's a little scary when you start looking at these new alpha prime lenses. I mean, the depth of field is so short and you're like, ooh, we're going to do that on everything, huh? Okay. But that's the reason we have the best focus puller in the Exactly. The like without, without, dark, without, dark without this guy, Doug and Raphael, our two A and B focus operators, I, I don't know if we could have done it like that. You know, uh, a good thing is in the Rusco Roma sequence when Keanu's being hung, a lot of negative fill and atmos in that. And you can really see the tapering off on the edges of the alpha alpha prime lenses. I mean, it's an amazing effect. Even outdoor at the Eiffel Tower, the lenses give this weird eyeglass start or eye, eye shape kind of fall off at the end. And the depth of field is literally a matter of, I don't know, Dan, a couple in 10 inches, maybe. Yeah, you know, very little. Which makes close-ups stand out so much more and so much more effective. But they do become challenging both in editorial and in film. But I think the effect is definitely more, uh, I don't know, a vibrant kind of artistry to it, I guess, no matter how yeah, frustrating you know, it was on the day. <laughs> I think that scene is a good example, you know, a good example that that scene around the Eiffel Tower because, you know, we are outside, you know, but we have so much negative feel. So there's a very, very nice feeling about the actors as well, even when you're shooting outdoors in the daytime yeah. and we don't like daylight. So on John Week, we have 18 weeks of night shoot and I was like, Killing everybody except Chad. I like nights. <laughs> Chad's indestructible. Well, let's yeah. talk about some of the action uh, starting actually in Paris. Let's let's talk about the uh, the steps of the Sacre Coeur. Mm. It really is that long that staircase, and it really is that it's steep. Longer. Yeah, we only um, use part of it. Dan, tell us where did you place the cameras? How, how did you execute this? A lot of you know, a lot of that was. Steadicam, Jamie, our Steadicam operator, he's amazing. Uh, so a lot he's, of that is shot on Steadicam. Like this. He has quadriceps yeah. this big to run up those stairs with the steady. <laughs> you know, so he's a lot of a lot of stuff running up and down those stairs together with the access. But Steadicam is a really heavy piece of equipment. Um, so we use that a lot. And uh, Oliver did handheld the cam operator. And then the fall down was, was a spider camp. Uh, where she just fall off down and down and down and then and I just feel so bad then she said oh let's do it again but you know it's a, <laughs> it's a lot of a lot of practicalities for those stunt people and the camera team of course as well and uh, Chad you have to tell how it works with the yeah no down. that's another I mean obviously it's our William Freakin reference to the exorcist that's why Dan put the atmosphere in like that um <laughs> We wanted. We discovered the staircase on a scout. Like Scott Rogers, the Suncor and I were scouting. I think with Dan, and we, we were at all at the top of Sacramento. The sun had just set. We looked down the stairs from the top. And went, ooh, somebody's going down this. And literally, we're like, not only is he going down this, we're like, now we have John Wick fight his way up. We're gonna throw him back down, and then we're gonna have him and Donnie's character Kane do the Butch and Sundance thing and get to the top. And that's when we'll play the bong bong bong. We'll do the music and we'll make it like a western coming to. You know, we'll have them fight all the way to the top and bond just so we can see who kills each other at the top. So the concept came fairly quickly once we saw the location. But then, you know, I got to go back to Dan and the guys and go, okay, how do we do this? It's another good example of how, you know, when you want to go wide, you have to solve the problem of, of lighting and you just don't, you just can't erase all your cranes. So, you know, Dan takes the LEDs and the tubes and we embrace that we're going to see our practicals. We're going to see lights. We're going to take as much practical lighting as we can from the lamp posts and, you know, put our cranes up to get some fill in and try to work backwards from that with atmosphere and try to get it. And then when you get into the choreography of it all, it's easy to go, okay, we're going to fight up to go down to fight back up again. And then somewhere in there, tell the story of the dog and the tracker and tie it all together. And 
you know, when we got, when we got all the footage back, I know I wanted to keep the pace going because there's always, you know, the danger of getting stale in an action sequence when you just become too stationary. And I don't know how we could have done it already to, to what Dan was saying without our operator's ability to follow Keanu. Like, it's not easy. Like, when you see Keanu run up the steps and the camera's going with him, that's a guy with, you know, 120-pound Steadicam rig running up after him. <laughs> so, like, that's, that, that, that's, that's pretty crazy, too. But we knew in editorial that it had to have that flow of Connolly. One, I think Nate did a great job of always showing geography. It's like Mel Gibson's Hacksaw Ridge. You always have to know where the cliff is. Once you lose sight of that and you get lost in it, the audience can't relate anymore. So you're either looking up on John or you're looking down on John. You're either feeling like, oh, my God, he's got a long way to go, or you're looking up going, oh, my God, he's got a long way to go. Like, you know how close he's getting. And then the big gag of it all is once we get that going, you know, oh, my God, he's fought all the way to the top. Then to have the catharsis of doing that spider cam shot of bringing him all the way down, and it's a camera on a cable system you know, it's got us in a little huddle trying to keep the camera motivated because we it's hard. The stunt guy can't really like, oh, I'm going to go a little faster, but a little slower. He's just going. So we have to kind of judge how the camera's tracking with him. And I think the, the real smart of it, again, is once we get all the great footage, we got to go back and post and somehow continue not just one, but like three storylines. So Nate's the one that kind of came back and I'll let him talk to you about like, how do you keep like pacing to me is still the hardest thing to do. And we can talk more. I'll let the boys talk about it. But once we get the footage to edit a sequence is one thing to edit a good staircase fight is great, but that staircase fight is of what we shot is twice as long as what's in the movie. But you don't know what to cut or how to, how to really embrace that and cut back to the, uh, the harbinger or cut back to Bill scars, guys character, cut back to Shamir. You got to keep all that going. And one of the hardest things to do is cut a sequence and then you got to go back every time Nate and I would trim something, you got to go back and watch the whole, not the act, not the scene, the whole movie. So once a week, you know, editorials looking at me and Nate going, oh, we got to watch the whole movie. Let's go. No pee breaks. Okay. Everybody go to the bathroom. <laughs> We're sitting through two and a half hours of this. Let's go. That's the only way you're going to know the pacing. It's an arduous process, but when you have so much action, you know, you can cut a good scene, but it won't fit in the movie. So like Nate, Nate is Nate and the, the team had to figure that out, how to balance all these storylines. And maybe Nate, you can talk about that because that, that's the really impressive thing about having so much action is how to see it, how it fights. Uh, hopefully we have a two hour and 38 minute movie before credits. It feels like, you know, hopefully an hour and 45 minutes. I hope. Uh, totally. Now, to me, it's all about dynamics. And I think, and I think you said once that it's, you know, you can have a needle drop and there's only so much how long you can have a piece of music and a movie before it starts to feel like a music video. And, and that's to me, when we do the justice song at the beginning of the staircase, at the end of that is the perfect, I think it's 90 seconds long as the perfect time to cut upstairs and reestablish the goal of why John's coming up there. And it creates this wonderful back and forth that was difficult, but a pleasure to find in terms of creating the stakes, making sure you're aware of them, and and because those shots of Winston in the theater that have been in this get great laughs, but it's also sets an emotional like right. You're trying to save Winston's life too, like it's it's really important. And then you cut back and you get to have all the fun and candy and, and sweetness you want. And and then there's this wonderful juxtaposition and cutting those stairs. The stair fall is one of my favorite moments because it's just this thing that we hold on for so long to really emphasize they really did this. And it's, to me, there's this like Looney, Tune th Looney Tunes style thing we did with the sound design 
of like as he's getting down further and we get farther and farther away it's like kind of a little bit wily coyote and we cut from the bottom and it's like he's far away and he gets slowly closer and closer and louder and it's just uh, uh that was a really fun sequence when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How closely did you stay to the uh, the original storyboards, or how how tightly was it scripted, <laughs> and how much did you deviate from that? Yeah, what, what storyboards? <laughs> yeah, we're not making storyboards. Yeah, we don't we don't do it quite. We're a little That's bit story. more. I, I I would think some would I say organic, others would say chaotic. Um, honestly, like we have a very different process on the wigs. Much to I mean, it's it's frustrating, but it's also, um, again, I I, I know the the team pretty well. <laughs> Mr. Laos and, and others like, look, sometimes it's, it's hard to report. We, I, I like things like the, the, the big moments, like the Arctic triumph sequence. Like, yeah, we have to board out some of those things because I can't just rehearse with 50 cars. But on the other hand, I've been a part of many productions that will board and pre-visualize, pre-visualize either animatically or stunt biz wise, these sequences, and then they'll try to fit reality into those boards the problem is we deal with real physics, real weather, real problems, real, real, real situations. Like you can board whatever you want, but until you have 50 stunt drivers, a dog, Keanu, and another 30 stuntmen running in amongst it, you got to remember during that sequence, that's not just Keanu and Marcos or running in traffic with our stunt team. That's two camera crews running in traffic. I'm like, that's a guy in a steady cam, you know, with a focus pro and an AC operator going through all that stuff. Like the amount of planning and prep and, you, 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 the storyboard guy is never going to figure that out. He'll make cool shots and he'll start to get the ideas or the gags in that we work backwards from and prepare from. But, you know, until you're there and you put the choreography in the actual location, it's very hard to like, our, our, our stunt teams are trained very differently. It's not load and lock onto a specific sequence. It's okay to, to be organic. Keanu's trained to be adaptable. Our stunt team is trained to be adaptable. It's more like sections of things that we can place and, and mix and match. Like, I mean, I think very, you can feel that as a viewer too. Yeah. I mean, it should, and there's a couple of reasons. One, it makes Keanu's performance feel more organic. Like he doesn't seem so self-assured and over-rehearsed that he knows what's going on because he's literally learned the choreography right before we do the role. Now he's talented. He knows the moves. It's just the order that we put him in. And as we said, you know, the stunt team and the storyboard are going to be working, but if Dan and I, like, there's some locations that we didn't quite, we didn't know we were going to get the Louvre till very, very soon before and then Stan and I go on the Louvre and, you know, we can't move the paintings and we can't, you know what I mean? It's the Louvre. So we're looking at the rafts of Medusa and, you know, the, the cost of tyranny paintings and, you know, Liberty and all that stuff going, okay, well, we know we got to get Ian from here to here. And then Dan's like, well, we're going to take the room with the big light and the sun. We're going to put this golden view on it, which, you know, post becomes one of my favorite scenes because that glow Dan put on everybody. But then it's like, okay. And I get together with Nathan going, okay, we're doing a, we're going to do a 20 second walking piece. We're going to make this fun. Like, but we don't know we're going to do that. So we're in the spot. Like rather than figure out a way to cut, we're just going, no, we're going to live in this walking shop. We're going to have, we're going to live in this. We're going to do this. We're going to, and to what you already say, like the most impressive stuff is we're trying to be a little artsy on how we do this. And, you know, Dan's got to get in there and like with the nightclub, like 
Dan and I haven't worked in a nightclub with 40 waterfalls before. Like we haven't done a lighting test in 40 waterfalls. So we do our best guess. But when we get in there, Dan and, in, Dan and I are in there like the Saturday before with the lighting team going, I don't know, purple? I don't know, blue? <laughs> like we kind of got to figure it out. So it's a much more organic process because we want to have a clue. What's the most beautiful shot, right? What's the best composition? I'll let Dan talk about that in a sec. But figuring out the way Dan likes to see depth. Like when Dan and I first met, it was from, what was it? It was Crimson Peak that I had seen. I, I had seen Dan's work on Brotherhood of the Wolf and all that before, but Dan always shoots long. He never shoots into a wall. It's always depth, 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 depth. And if you have depth, you need color. You got to light the depth. So Dan would go in and Dan would kind of dictate literally most of where the stunts are going to go. If Dan thinks this is the best way to light and that's the angle, okay, well, we, now we have to reconfigure our choreography. And that's something you can't do in a gym. You know, we're all interested in making something beautiful. So it's got to be beautiful. And then we reverse engineer the choreography out. If that, or, I mean, a lot of times I got I to gotta mention, we always call them the Danish overs. Like we have two people talking in order to evolve, um, in order to not go into the typical scene, Dan will always shoot over the inside shoulders. So the overs, usually it'd be over someone's outside, but so the inside shoulders and gives us a really unique look, which is a lot more Leone. And it also allows us to be much, much broader in our composition. I don't know, Dan, you can talk about that, but I, I love that stuff. <laughs> Let, let's talk about the, um, do you want to use this as an example, the nightclub scene? I know, Dan, that's a favorite of yours. Yeah, no, the nightclub, you know, that was interesting because first time you heard about the nightclub, we, we did a test when we started to go into our color palette. So we did a big test of colors. You know, we have this palette about colors, so it's not like we know which angle or which way we want to go, but I was not, when I saw the test first time, we did the test on the waterfall as well. And that was the first time I saw the waterfall. And that was the first time I understand what Chad wants to do because the waterfall was so gigantic. I was like, what is going on here? I was like, I was blown away. And then, of course, when we start to go in to start to pre-light the sets, you know, that's like 500 meters long or whatever. That's like, it's a lot of, lot of lights. And again, what is a color palette? What do we want to do? And the reason we can change the stunts thing is because Chad is amazing to make this change thing. You know, I have never met anything, anybody so good as Chad to change the, the stunts on the day. You know, it's just, it's like, no, this is not working, blah, blah, let's do it like that. And then it's like, everything is changed. But the, the, without Chad's background to change this amazing stunts, it will never work. No, you are, Chad is a master. That's amazing. This is number third movie, but I'm still like, what the fuck? What's going on here? But th that is one of the reasons because if you, you want to stick to something and it doesn't work, Chad is so good to change it. It's, it's fantastic. I think it's all about like, look, we have an aesthetic, like Nate, Dan and I, Kevin, I mean, those, that's the, that's the magic crucifix right there. Right. The look, the vibe, the edit from, pre to post a look. Um, so again, we, we knew we wanted to do a bit like how I met Nate and what Dan and I had talked about was like, we want to do something above a regular action. We want to do an art film, right? And again, our own egos, but we, that's how you elevate the action. It's always a little bit of everything, right? It's a little bit better in the lighting. It's a little bit better in the sets, a little bit better in the performance, a little bit better in the story. Let's elevate the whole thing. I think one of the most interesting things we did. I mean, it's not in one of the bigger action sequences, but I think one of the more, and I'll 
use quotations around uh, genius things we tried was a, a Kurosawa thing. Like, even if all the cast members are still, Kurosawa's had wind blowing or he had snow falling or it was heat where you're sweating. He always used an elemental element right. to the scene to give motion, to give life to it. So um, probably I'll let Nate talk about how difficult we messed up editing for him. But we're in the Osaka Continental. We have Donnie Yen's character reintroduced to Hiroyuki Sonata's character. They had a little bit of a standoff in the lobby. And Dan and I had done so many big spaces in continental lobbies before. We're like, we did a little blocking on the week before with some of the cast and the scene. And we're like, okay. And it was done at this convention center in Berlin. Really big, had the worst carpet in the world. And we had just lit it up like a hotel lobby. And we're like, oh my God, we got done with the rehearsal. And I'm looking at Dan, like, save me. This is going to be my, oh my, this is, who was the first thing we're shooting. And God, this is hideous. Oh my God, I'm a horrible director. What do we do? And I think Dan went back and saw the frustration. They had all the, what are they, Dan's globals? Globals? So, you know, move, moving hits. Moving, moving hits and lights. Uh, so we're yeah. like, okay, well, okay. We brought in these, it's called Nanotech. It's a company that specialized in art exhibition lighting. That's where you see the flashy lights in the art. So we, we want to do little art exhibits in a hotel lobby and in the museum room where he does a nunchuck. So we brought in this company to set up these little art pieces. And we thought that gave it motion. That was a nice flicker effect and go. But it wasn't really affecting the close-ups and it wasn't really giving us a sense of, of motion. So Dan gets all the remote or the movable heads. And that's why you see us here. You keep standing there. Everybody's rock solid. It's like a Barry Lyndon frame, right? Everybody's not moving, but the little globals are moving. So you're getting a full face, a half face, the two you know, shiny eyes. And the whole time these lights are moving. And then when he switches to green, it's the same thing. And I remember looking at it going, this is going to kill me. And then I saw it and you saw like the reflection off here. He's glasses and it's moving. I'm like, Oh my God, this is awesome. I'm going to like, we're going to punch in. We're going to get the clothes. We're going to do all our good stuff. But at the same time, I'm going, Oh my God, editorial's going to have a shit fit when they see this. Because there's, <laughs> Nate's got to somehow wait till the light gets to the right spot to cut to the other side because there's so many differentials in there. But uh, I think yeah. it was one of the more genius uses of lighting. In it. So, Nate, how did that work out for you? It actually worked out pretty well because I think there was enough consistent, constant motion. Uh, that it, you know, it allowed some fun cuts where, you know, he says, are you with them now? No. And then the, the shot sort of flares out and I've cut on this flare and it's kind of the, created these, actually, I would look at them as opportunities instead of cutting on the traditional like blink, like Walter Murch would talk about or breath or, or you know, these lights in the stream. And it's not just this scene, it's the entire movie and the lighting, especially in the club, being able to edit around these beautiful, colorful lights and the movement around them was it was so much fun i would just just be lit up with joy be able to like almost do a, a, a dissolved wipe of a frame basically of because it's a flash of light you know i think we get a lot if you look at the reviews and stuff i mean it's funny uh it's kind of fulfilling when you get you know a lot of our all the stuff we've been hearing about and stuff one of the first things they'll bring up is the aesthetic and that's kind of the combination between obviously the cinematography and the, the editing style. Cause the movie, even though it is long, it breathes and people don't realize the more you trim, the less breath you take out and the less you have like, um, uh, Dan's been an integral part of the DNA of it because he does have a cinemagraphic style that is not usual or not customary to action. Like, you know, you'll never have Dan Lawson fighting against a wide shot. <laughs> like he's a big part sure. of it. embrace that so much, but I don't know, like the first couple, the first film, then I had worked together, I didn't spend a lot of time in digital intermediate. And then afterwards, 
watching Dan and our colors, Joe Pagano, it's like paint and, and use the colors that he had and enhance and bring out the highlights and contrast to see really what was there was one of the most impressive learning experiences I've ever had. But like, I think, and Dan, I'll let you say, like, I, it's weird. It's like on the second one, Dan and I's first time together, he's the one that really exposed me to the range of colors and not to be scared about some of these, you know, it, action colors are like your, what Dan, like your, your steel blue, you're a little bit of teal, but like your hard red, your deep blacks. But like, you know, in this one, we went with purple, purples and pinks and cherry blossoms and whites and mixed blacks and gray. Like we went, you know, white couches and white suits. We just tried everything here. But I mean, once I opened it up to Dan, I think, uh, and again, Dan, you can talk about, you know, how we went from, you know, meeting on a Guillermo del Toro kind of project to, to taking Neon Noir to it. Like Dan kind of, I think, helped invent Neon Noir. So. I don't know. How'd you come up with all that kooky shit, man? I don't know. You know, again, we, I think the problem with colors right now, because we are using LED, the whole, it's a new technique. So you have all the options in the world to do a color. And I think the, the difficult part with that is find the right colors. And I think we did that, you know, the, the Kevin, the production designer, and Chad and myself, just to find the color palette for each scene. And we spent a lot of time to do that in, in, in prep. So we're not coming in, as Chad is saying, oh, we didn't know, you know, we're coming into a, with an empty plate. We, we knew where we was, was going. As, and as I said before, we have a very strong ideas about which one we want to go. Um, and I think, you know, again, it's, it's on your shoulders, Chad, because you are not afraid of going that way. And as you know, it's, as a cinematographer, it's, really cool to work together with a director that's not afraid of trying something new. Uh, and of course, it was Kevin as well, you know, because he's finding and building those amazing locations like the top shot in, in the apartment in Paris. You know, when Chad was talking about that top shot, I was getting a heart attack because I was thinking, what, how are we going to do it? And uh, where's the light going to be? <laughs> and Chad is always like, no, you figure that out. And then he's walking away. Like, <laughs> that's one of the best things about being a director you just go he'll figure i have faith you hire the right people you walk away <laughs> but i mean that's the other you know no one quite got that when we're trying to sell the idea to the people that write the checks you know to them it's just a top shot you know we wanted to make again another art piece but the problem with most top shots is to dan's point um and to nate's point like it becomes a singular perspective so there's nothing really surprising or subversive about it. And usually when you're dealing with a set piece and a top shot, it's the same floor. So you're never changing color. It's not like looking up and seeing the sky or a light source. You're looking at, you know, a concrete floor or a rug or anything like that. So the first thing we tried to address in the top shot was lighting. And we had that dragon's breath shotgun, but it was slated for a different scene. But when we started talking with Dan about, okay, well, how do I make this cool? He's like, well, figure out how to light it. I'm like, okay, well, let's let's light some guys on fire. That's light, sure. You know, and we'll do the the dragon's breath, which gives us this, you know, from a top perspective, gives these beautiful lines, like a you know, colorful etch a sketch, if you will. So we, we kind of figured it out like that. And then, okay, well, what's the camera technique and how do we build the set? And it was reverse engineering from there. And again, to be honest, there was four main chunks of that, the top shot, but Nate and I had cut it. And again, it was the pacing thing. Like I was fighting for all of it, but like no matter how many times I watched it, my shoulders would slump and be like, yeah. And then Nate's like, okay, <laughs> we got to, we got to fix it. <laughs> so how do we, what's the cool, 
cut point. And I think what we, we cut, I mean, like a halfway in or something. Yeah. I think we cut like about 45 seconds out of, of what was the end of it. And, and what I loved about how we landed is that to me, we do the top shot and, and to address also what you guys are talking about in terms of like typical top shots, you have the too many similar color tones, you have a certain kind of tile, then you have the kitchen and then you have this living room and they're all different. And what I realized is that once we got to that living room, that was the big one. And we had to cut out at some point during that. And Chad loved these when these books and these papers flew because the dragon's breath was exploding through them. So we kind of wanted to end on something strong. And my favorite thing was I wanted it to be long. I wanted it to feel long, like, oh my God, I can't believe they haven't cut. But when we do it a second time, I want everybody to be like, yeah, we're doing it again. You know what I mean? It's got to be, you have to withhold a little bit so that you are excited again. You know what I mean? I mean, that's always the thing. Like, I mean, this, these all go back to like, you know, I get asked a lot about choreography, but like when most people ask me about choreography, they're thinking about the stunt moves, the secret, not a secret, but like our little methodology is what you're hearing now. That's why I, I keep trying to reiterate what we're doing. We don't think about it from the stunt side. The stunt side is the one thing I feel at home with. It's very natural language for me and my stunt team. The tricky things is what most bigger action movies kind of mess up on is they're not inclusive to the rest. There's, they're, they're secular. It's, you know, the stunt team does their thing, but they don't include like, I need Nate to know now before we go execute before I need him to know what the vibe I need Dan to know what the, I need, I need my crew to know. I need our cameramen to know. I need everybody to know that we're trying to do something special up here. So Dan's light, like, Oh, if he doesn't get it, how's he going to give me those neon flares outside and how are we going to light people on fire? The overall effect, the synergy of it all is that all of us are kind of between Kevin, Nate, and myself, my camera team, my stunt team, we're all ahead of the game. Most action sequences are reactionary, meaning I hand Nate a pile of footage at the end and go, hey, make this cool, I think. Like, we need it to be cool to us before we do it. <laughs> or at least as we're doing it is our justification of, you know, it took us, like, what, Dan, like 32 takes on the first part of the top shot? Like, yeah, between Keanu, really really you know, 20 really stunt really guys, really. fire burns, you know, dogs, like it, like it took a day to get the first piece of it. But, and it wasn't until we got like halfway through to like maybe take 20, we're like, oh, wow, this could work. Okay, let's keep going. But it was despairing until then. Like, oh, maybe this is a waste of time. But when you see it really go with the right lighting and the right switch and the stunt guys hitting the marks and Keanu nailing it, then you're like, okay, we got something special. Let's keep going. But that only works because Kevin, Dan, they, everybody's already on the same page. And that's real choreography. Believe me, when, when Gene Kelly did Singing in the Rain, he knew it was going to fucking rain in that scene. That wasn't a mistake. <laughs> like, that's the whole gag. You know what I mean? Like, that's us. We're trying to be a not reactionary action, but we're trying to really plan up and include the crew in the action. It can't just be a secular event of stunts. That makes sense. Well, there's one more action sequence that I'd love to chat about. Um, Arch to Triumph was incredible. Mm -hmm. And that's obviously a very, very busy intersection in Paris. And as I understand it, you involved blue screen for that sequence. How did you, mostly, how did you shoot composite. and pull that off? Not so much blue screen, mostly compositing. Um, a lot of roto. A lot of roto, like crazy amounts of roto on that sequence. Like there, there was teams that went, we went and captured the actual arc. We light art it, we captured it, we shot it, we filmed it from every angle known to man. But we were also coming out of COVID, so we had the ability to get footage of the empty arc and rebuild it, you know, in a composite. But like where we shot the actual action, the sequences was in a, a you know the old Teagle Airport outside of Berlin, 
And we literally built two dimension the Arc de Triumph. We built the roundabout with all the lanes, the correct, the uh, exact distance to all the things. Like we had to be pretty on. And we would take all that. The stunt teams wind out all these cones that kept the distance different colors. So the stunt guys knew which lane to be in. It's still, you know, over 50 cars. Keanu, it's dogs. It's people going, driving headlong into traffic. It just took a lot, a lot of patience to do each piece. You know, it's rehearse a piece, talk about a piece, slowly rehearse it at two miles an hour, five miles an hour, 10 miles an hour, 40 miles an hour. Then you got to put the camera team in. Like, it's just a very arduous process. And you have to go slow, but it all starts with, okay, Dan, where's the lights? <laughs> so now we got to put up, I don't know, 18 cranes and light the thing. Cause the Arc de Triumph is pretty lit. We don't have. So we yeah, kind of start with that. Yeah. That game, key light, key light far, far away. It was pretty far oh, away. Football. Yeah, by the way, cutting a scene without the background and keeping geography straight was quite a challenge. Yeah, that's one that we had a few storyboards for, <laughs> you know, and it, it's even, I think, Nate, we were even in the end. It was even like, we didn't lock till almost March, right? Or end of February, wherever it was. Um, but like, it was even, yeah. even in January, February, we're still looking at the arc. He's like, is he going the right way? Like, we're still getting the yeah. effects of yeah. compositing in. So we're like, oh, we gotta, we were still making tweaks to the very last day with that because it is challenging yeah. again. Once you lose sight of geography, once the audience gets lost, sometimes that's a good thing, like in a horror film. Other times, like when you're doing the roundabout and your sequence is based on geography, it's incredibly difficult editorially to keep that going and keep the pace, you know what I mean? And show sure. the gimmicks and have faith in the Sun Team, the VFX, and you know everyone else doing it. It's, it's, a, it's a trip. That was logistically the hardest one, both in prep, shooting, and post. Yeah. You know, again, but like now you 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 got kooky director guy who still wants a couple close-ups, you know, as a bus is going by Keanu Reeves. So, you know, I hand it back to Dan Lousen going, okay, Dan, give me that cool Keanu half-light, but try not to have your lighting team hit by the bus. So I think we had tubes on the steady cam. We had a second AC, you know, assistant camera person holding a tube under Keanu, like a flag, you know, and trying not to hit people with cars. I mean, it's always challenging, you know, because like it's very easy to go, Dan, don't don't worry about this one. It's just an action shot. The hard thing is going, no, we're not going to forget about it. Dan, make this look great. How do we do it? No. So, Chad, uh, just to move on, um, there there have been suggestions of, um, you know, people who are interested in seeing a stunt Oscar added. Curious what your thoughts are on that. Um, well, I, I think it's a, a misplaced assumption that anyone said there shouldn't be. I, I've been in the business 35 years. I've never met a stunt person that's uh, sat down with an academy member, nor have I met an academy member that's ever sat down with a stunt representative. Um, okay, that's probably the first problem. No one's actually talked. So now here we are 101 years later, and no one's really had the conversation. I, I don't think you could find a single individual or a professional in our industry that would dispute that stunts you know, if you're going to, if you call yourself the motion picture Academy and we're part of the motion picture, it, it'd be hard to dispute. I mean, you know, I, I don't think you could find an argument or an individual with an argument that say stunts don't deserve an Oscar. I don't think that's the issue. I just don't think we've ever had the talk. You know, I think it's yeah. just come so far where everyone's embarrassed about not having raised their, like it, it's partly, it, there's nothing antagonistic. I think some people have these myths about, 
they, they, all, they don't want us to have an Oscar. And then you have some people going, why they, we, they don't think we deserve an Oscar? Like, I don't think it's that at all. I think it's just the grownups haven't sat down at the table yet. So I would ask you right back to you guys to help us get the invitation out. And we're, we're going through every channel we can to the Academy going, hey, our bad, we didn't quite, you know, push ourselves and like, okay, let's just sit down at the table and figure it out. I don't, I don't think the debate is whether or not you deserve an Oscar. We're one of the main departments. I mean, I don't think you'd find a, a movie star or a movie star level cast member that hasn't gotten at least halfway there through an action film, you know, without doing an action film. Like we're just, we're a department, whether you like it or not. We're an artistic, we're a creative, we're a technical side of the industry. I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue really is to get down at the table and ask the Academy, how? How do you give the, like, do you give it to the individual performing the song? Do you give it to an individual that, say, is in a romantic comedy but does an amazing high fall? Is it to that? Is it to the stunt coordinator that conceives it or makes it safe? Or is it for in a sequence? Like, John Wick has sequences. Like, there's not one great thing in the Arc de Triumph, but there's a lot of little great things. So you give it for a sequence. Or you give it for, like, John Wick's a complete action film. But you have a movie like Inception that had two great, had a little car piece in it and had that great inversion room thing when they lost gravity. Fantastic. Matrix, I wouldn't consider an action movie, but it had great action moments in it. So is it for a fight? I think that's the real conversation. And I don't have the answers for that either. But I'd like to sit down with representation from the stunt community and representation from the Academy and go, okay, what's the fairest, coolest, best way to do this? You know, and there's also the egotistical part that goes, yeah, I think by adding stunt to the Oscars is going to add a little panache. You know, I think we're going to give it a little pop. <laughs> I think that's a cool thing to do. You know, I mean, every cast member that's ever done an action film, I think, is is behind it. And I honestly think you couldn't find a department head uh, or anyone professional in the industry that would argue against Suns getting an Oscar. So I think the real question is, let's get smart people down in the room and, and figure out how to do it. You know. And then at the ending of your movie. Yeah. A lot of talk about what that ending meant. And uh, and we've also seen reports since your big opening weekend of uh, that a fifth movie is, not, is still on the table. What can you tell us? I, I read what you read. <laughs> I've just been in my little home. Dan and Nate are working on other jobs. Look, it, I'll just say this. Like, they're love letters. You know, they're chances to work with some of the best people in the industry. They're chances for Nate to put his signature on, Dan to put his signature on. Very rarely in our industry do you get to put a little of yourself up there, at least to the level we do in the John Wicks. And that's that's a big thing. Um, I think that's why a lot of people are attracted to John Wicks because they can feel the love. They can feel the, the nerdiness that we all have, the attention to every little detail. Um, and to put that out there and to get a, a positive response back, you know, it, it's very flattering to, you know, you never want to be the guy that goes, ah, you know, you, you just want to be, oh my God, people like, like, like our work. And it's very flattering. And for them to come back and, you know, say, we want more. And it's not just a cash grab. It's legitimately the audience wants more. The, you know, the studio is obviously hungry to, to give them product and give something that the audience likes. That's very flattering. It's very, um, that's awesome. That's great. Um, but it, on the other hand, there's a reason we didn't do four and five together. I'm just not a good enough director. I, I can probably push everything I got for one film, but to have a real identity, I don't think you can do two films back to back. I think you need time to grow. I mean, if I didn't take the three years, almost three and a half years in between, Dan went, I mean, how many movies did you guys do in between? Dan went and did another two or three films in between and God knows what he learned in that time. He got better. He was like, Nate was doing Ghostbusters before I even met him. 
it came out that like if, if things hadn't worked out, like when we originally slated to go, like Dan wasn't available. I wouldn't have met Nate. Like sometimes you need that time. I, I didn't get my head around some of the art stuff or multiple story perspective lines of characters. What I'm saying is sometimes you just need a lot of life in the middle to get better, to learn shit, to, to be curious about stuff. You know, I learned more in the last six months of post on this one. I learned more on this one with Dan, more on about editing with Nate than I've learned in my entire career because I got challenged more of it. That's going to make me better on the next one. I think it, we all need that little bit of time to, to go, whew, let's see what's next. Let's hope. Um, look, if it works out, great. If Keanu and I, two months from now, sit down at a whiskey bar in Japan again and go, yeah, we're never doing another one of those. And then all of a sudden go, yeah, but I got an idea. Like we're, we're open to it. If you, if you told me the worst thing to do is grab these guys right here, get Keanu my cast back and go find some new cast members and go shoot some more samurai meet Kung Fu, meet Ninja, meet Sergio Leone, meet art film. That's not a bad career to, 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 uh, you know, lock me into. I think that's, that's, that, that would be pretty cool, but like, you know, one day at a time, we're just kind of still going, this is cool. I think there's no other ending we could have given it that would have been satisfying. You know, Keanu and I, the whole reason for doing this one was to try to tie together the other three. And without, you know, it's hard to do a movie about consequence when you don't have any consequences. So I, I think we kind of needed that one. And, you know, we're all very proud of the work we do. I mean, I think it's, it, even if you don't like the movie, like if you don't like what I did with it or my choices, I don't think you can argue that it's not a beautiful film, that it's not edited beautifully, that it, it, it doesn't have amazing wardrobe, that my cast doesn't do amazing performances. I'm very proud of my casting crew, the most proud I've ever been. Yeah, I mean, I got two of the best guys you could ever work with here. You know, Kevin Cavanaugh, like our MVP of the whole show is Louise Rosner, just to prove that we can do, you know, five countries and do the level that we do and make it as beautiful as we do without spending half a billion dollars is pretty impressive. You know, my, my stunt team is one of the best in the world. I, I mean, these guys can talk about their teams. I mean, having such a, a young and energetic editorial, having the experience of Dan, I don't know, you guys throw your shout outs to whoever, like I, every, basically anybody in those end credits and probably about a hundred people that are in those credits. That's my thank you. So. The beauty of movie making is it's a teamwork. You know, we are doing this a lot of helping a lot of crew that's working. 18 weeks of night and just supporting Chad and the movie and everybody else. It's amazing. I'm very, very proud of that. You know, we have a fantastic crew all over the world. No, likewise. I mean, I'm, I guess not all over the world. We worked in an office, but no, I, I'm so proud of my crew. Nicholas Lundgren, my uh, first assistant and additional editor who worked with Chad um, a bunch. And then Ali Andrus, who was sort of the queen of all muzzle flashes and impacts, who uh, nailed literally the timing and placement of where every muzzle flash and impact were on the entire film, uh, to our VFX department, to um, uh, Ryan Turner and Matt and uh, MJ. And I just, I adore my team. And I wouldn't our be sound department, down. Mark Stegenger, our music department, Jen Malone and Tyler Bates, Joel Richards, Dylan England. Like, look, a lot of these are lifers on the Wix. Some of them are just happy new additions. But there's no one, one of the recruiting things I kind of do, there's no one doing a John Wick that hasn't seen the priors or that doesn't love kind of the references. So that's, you're already starting from a common place. And I think, again, one of our magic little ingredients is like we all come from a common love of genre filmmaking. And I don't think we have anybody on our team that doesn't want to make something 
creating something beautiful from the lighting to the edits. Like everyone's got this aesthetic that they just want to make it good. They want to make it beautiful. They want to make it something that you can look at and be proud of. You know, you get a bunch of those people together. It's hard to, and I really try, but it's hard to mess up. Well, it's great to have all of you back. Thank you so much. And uh, and again, congratulations on uh, the fantastic That's really nice. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you very much. much.